How's it going? We are back for another episode of Summoner's Corner. I'm your host, Will. I am joined as I am each week by my co-host, Josh. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Into playoffs this week. Yeah, we got a couple series behind us. They were, well, one was fun and exciting. Another one was um, a bit of a stomp. <laughs> a bit's a bit of an understatement, but yeah, it was it was very stompy. Uh, there, there's some exciting stuff to talk about, so let's get right into the episode. Before we, we jump into games or anything, I, I want to start doing this themes of the week thing, because we did it before, talking about top lane and everything. I have two notes for the theme of the week here. The first one is two things are guaranteed. Tactical, trying to Malphite alt on any champ he plays, and Jizuke inting in some way. Uh, obviously, Jizuke didn't play any games this weekend, but uh, we will be talking about the series coming up for for this weekend and everything um and uh you know we saw a lot of of that first point with tactical in this series i think yeah every champ with a dash and champs without a dash you know you have that item with a dash now so yeah it was just everything <laughs> it, it was uh i mean personally this was a great series for me to watch because i didn't really care who won between TSM and TL. I really have no connections to either of these teams. Um, I have no strong feelings either way when it comes to either one. So it was really fun to watch for me, and it was really funny at times. I can imagine for TL fans, uh, <laughs> it was pretty damn stressful. It was even more stressful for TSM fans. And uh, yeah, of course, despite that, TSM loses the series, which really fucking sucks. <laughs> This was, I, I mean, I don't think they deserve to win it, to be honest. For TSM, no, definitely not. They they played really, really poorly. And uh, honestly, I think TL did like a pretty good job of highlighting uh, their main weakness. I think at times, yes. At other times, they were highlighting their own weaknesses way more. But we'll get into that as we start talking about the games. For sure, for sure. Uh, my second note for the theme of the week is that Everfrost seems like an OP item right now. Uh, we saw this built a lot, uh, especially over this series. I think there was an Everfrost in almost every game. Um, it seems really strong. It's got a lot of playmaking potential and stuff, which is really cool. Um, it gives you a bit of extra protection with an extra root coming uh, out of that item and everything. Um, I, I like this item a lot from what we saw of it. Yeah, so one of the things I really enjoy when you see an item that has CC on it come in like this is it tends to lead to a higher amount of diversity in team comps because you don't have to worry quite as much about building cc or sorry having cc on all of your units because cc does win games you know that that's very often something uh team comps need to look at but having this sort of hole filler as an item you can buy within the game uh really does start to open up diversity and i think we started to see that this weekend yeah yeah for sure it, it's it's been an, a nice shift overall for like mid lane builds and everything um I, I i was a big fan of of what we saw of it so let's jump into this game one um tl starts off with a massive mistake by not banning azir yeah huge misplay coach diff um it ended up working out for them but only just barely yeah it was 
really rough. Like for for a while in this game, uh, TSM was very clearly ahead, and they also had the comp that would outscale in the long run. I think, um, but it, it was a couple bad decisions overall that that shifted the game in TL's favor, and and we'll get into that a bit. Another thing in draft that I found really funny, uh, a cool thing that was happening through through these couple series, uh, and I hope will continue through playoffs, is Doublelift, Meteos, and Sneaky all doing a co-stream together. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch, I, I found. I, I loved watching those guys together. Yeah, the insight of X-Pros is just fantastic. It, it is, really. Like, it, it's... It's unmatched, and you see that on the analyst desk. Analyst desk, whenever High is there as well, uh, there are a few other former pros on the analyst desk who have some very questionable thoughts, uh, and I, I think it's it becomes a little obvious when you see like the longevity in their careers and also the roles that they played on the teams that they were on, like. When it comes to high, sure, he didn't play for as long as a sneaky, a double lift, a medios, or anything, but he was the primary shot caller, and he also played multiple different roles as well. He played jungle, mid, and support through his career. Um, so he has, like, a wealth of knowledge there, and then you've got guys like like the trio on that co-stream who just played for so long and were, like, very, very key pieces on their respective teams. So you can see the knowledge and everything. Uh, one thing that I found really funny, though, I guess Sneaky hasn't really watched the past few weeks, it seems. Um, he had, like, a couple questions about metas and stuff that he was asking the other two. And, uh, one of them, Medios and Doublelift were joking about tactical inting. Uh, and, and Sneaky asked, is tactical, like, legit running it? Medios, pretty close. Doublelift, yeah, he's pretty close to, like, getting PayPal'd. Uh, I just found out that was really funny and uh, a pretty good way to sum up how tactical has been playing over this past uh month i'd say really yeah uh somehow it's working out for him i don't really know how i think core jj is maybe putting in some overtime trying to keep him alive but uh i feel like a big part of it is just the rest of the team picking up the slack yeah it reminds me of the old proverb for league of legends where it's like it's better to take a bad fight as five than to take a good fight as like two or three yeah yeah for sure uh so i have one more note for picks and bans for this game one uh somehow seraphine went all the way to last pick or second to last pick i, I think it realistically was it was like tsm's last pick um and I, I think this really shows how far behind NA is sometimes with, like, metas and champion picks and stuff. Because this is a really, really high-priority pick uh, in pretty much every other league that I've watched. And realistically, I think Seraphine should be a first-round pick ban. I wasn't too concerned seeing the Seraphine pick the first game, but as the series evolved uh, into sort of games three and four, um, we definitely did see a lot more emphasis and importance uh, riding on that Seraphine pick coming out of TSM. It's such a strong champion. It does everything. Yeah, and in this game in particular, you know, that they ended up with the Misfortune and Seraphine. So that's a huge wombo coming out of the bot lane. Yeah, super oppressive lane to play against overall. One note that I have for TL getting into this, like, actual game um, actually, I mean, for both teams, I found the junglers, neither of them were playing well at all in this game one, at least. Um, I, I found Santorin was on the Hecarim. He had some questionable alts, um, sometimes where I feel like he probably 
should have ulted and and didn't or like held it for uh an ult later on in in fights that just didn't look quite as good and stuff um there were some questionable plays from him overall there was also a few times where he was tanking objectives for no reason it felt um and i think speaker played really poorly in this game one on udir there was like three times where he flashes for like no reason pretty much uh like obviously his, his he was trying to get a pick but there there really wasn't a pick there to get yeah so i think hecarim has a really funny play pattern inside this game in particular um obviously the hecarim build we see in lcs is a little more tankier um than like your solo q triforce or divine sunderer build but i feel like in this game it was kind of ending up the same way where he would try to go in get burst down to like 25 20 percent and then have to like retreat immediately um and this is with or without ulti like sometimes he would uh ghost e in and sometimes he would ulti in and then he'd have to rely on the other the the inverse of that to um get out immediately and it really didn't provide a lot of frontline support or cc for his team yeah it, it didn't look very good in this game i in this game i thought for the actual like gameplay of this game though i mean tsm was playing really well early on tl had some like pretty big mistakes there was a point where uh jensen got caught out by spika and um spika and poe and santorin comes in to try and save him but it ends up it with both of them pretty much just getting chunked to like 200 health they start running away Jensen, for some reason, I, I guess he thought he could turn the fight or something. He was on the Oriana and ends up turning around trying to get an ult off, but then Spika just flashes and kills him. And then Santorin wanted the return kill, so he ults over the wall, even though he's completely safe to get the return kill back. But then PoE is just able to clean it up on his ear, which, like, any sort of kills on his ear early is really bad. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really messy series of plays. Um, Jensen, I think, started out this series looking really shaky. And I think by, by the end, he was one of the primary carries. He looked really good in the later games of this series. I agree, yeah. Um, but yeah, TSM comes out with a lead early on in this game. They're up in Dragons as well. I believe it was 3-2 to two on Dragons at, uh, towards the end. And for some reason, as Soul is spawning, they decide to start Baron. And at this point, they're so far ahead that it almost feels like a 5v5 at Baron with them tanking Baron is kind of the only way that they lose. Because, like, unless you've got, like, a super strong front line, Baron does a lot of damage. And one of the big things that people forget a lot with Baron is that when you're taking damage from it, you're also doing reduced damage as a result. It puts a debuff on you. So it really does turn 5v5s into a 5v6. Um, and and for some reason, they, they make this call to go on to Baron, and it really feels like just a coin flip. For some reason, even though they're ahead and they're soul spawning, and they, it's it feels like they could easily just go to that and 
fairly easily win a fight without <laughs> uh, needing to worry about the Baron debuff and tanking Baron and shit. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a little confused. I mean, we, we've said this week after week after week. It's, it's kind of like beating a dead horse at this point. Um, TSM isn't strong in the river. Their river fighting is very lackluster. Um, this game, they were ahead 5k to sort of frame this fight a little bit. Um, so 5k up an extra Infernal Drake. So they do have uh, some extra damage coming from that. But yeah, it, it, it's really weird. It, it's a really strange sort of call to make. Um, and I can understand they were feeling pretty confident. I mean, PoE up to this point in the game, his Azeroths were clean. Like, he was consistently getting two-man, three-man Azeroths, pushing them back into the team, and the team was just going to town on whoever got pushed. And a lot of the time as well, uh, another kind of fault with, with TL here, he was just able to stand there and get free damage off. Like, they really were not pressuring his positioning whatsoever in these fights. Um, there were a few fights where he was actually just, like, completely ignored for some reason, even though he is realistically the main dps threat on tsm um but they go for this baron tl comes in and uh a little bit of a fight happens it ends up being a one for one trade uh do you do you have the vod up uh, on this actually i do yeah what, what who was traded in this fight i don't i don't quite remember and i, I don't have it up at the moment so Power of Evil died for TSM, and Santorin died for TL. So at this point, TL's only option is to fight. Yeah, so TL no longer has their juggler, so like there is no chance of a steal or anything. The only way that they secure Baron or anything is just killing TSM. On the other hand, TSM has their jungler, obviously, so they have the threat of taking Baron still, but they've just lost their main DPS source. And it, there, there's a point in this fight where, like, the kills come through and the teams kind of split. Both of them back off. And there's an opportunity for both teams to kind of just walk away. And I feel like TSM should have just cut their losses and walked away. But instead they go back and continue to hit Baron and tank it. Well, so the kind of bad thing here is the... Drag 4 for TSM, uh, the Infernal Dragon, has already spawned. So at this point, they're locked out of the Infernal Dragon just from their position around the Baron Pit, right? If they wanted to take it, they would have had to have played to middle side, and instead they played to top side. Uh, and this just gives TL a clear pathway no matter what. So if they don't turn on the Baron, they lose the Dragon for free. If they do turn on the Baron, it, it's, it's, they've created this sort of lose-lose situation for themselves. Yeah, and like it, it comes down to when they first initially start this Baron, Soul is spawning very soon. And it it's three to two in dragons. I I, I don't know why they made this, this Baron call in the first place. Um I feel like it would have been much better to just run down. Also, Huni and PoE have TPs. So when there's that brief pause where the teams walk away from Baron. I feel like TSM should take the recalls and and take that route to Baron and sure they're getting there late uh like Liquid would would already start it at this point. Um but like Santorin is still dead. TSM still has their jungler. I feel like Huni and PoE is potentially enough pressure to at least 
stall for the rest of TSM to get there? I feel like the map movement is too hard to gauge to truly say that that's a viable option, and especially, I think, in, in the heat of the game at the moment. I don't know if anyone would really look at it at that sort of level. That's fair. Um, but yeah, it's an option. I mean, uh, anything was better than what they did. They, they literally took the worst possible path. Yeah, so so what what does happen is, is like I said, they start up the Baron again, they start tanking it, they're taking damage from it, getting the damage debuff and everything. Uh, TL starts trying to take pot shots at them and poke at them and TSM decides to turn and TL honestly plays this extremely well they're able to kite back perfectly and without taking like any damage they just kill Spika and at this point Hecarim only has like 13 seconds left on his respawn timer and obviously it's a Hecarim <laughs> even without TP he can get around the map super quick just using his E um and, and that's what we see happen. Uh, Alfari, off of the speaker kill, is also able to get another pick on Lost. They have four people still up. TSM, only two alive. Uh, like I said, Huni has the TP. PoE is now up in 10 seconds and has TP as well. I feel like right here, they need to recall and go straight for Dragon. And they they do, for the for the most part. Uh, I, there was It was a little delayed, I think. At the same time, Jensen starts a recall. He has the TP. And they leave Core Tactical Alfari to take Baron. And Jensen, Santorin, rush to Dragon. And uh, again, TL played it really, really well. Because it it's kind of comes down to not necessarily a smite fight. Because obviously, Xpika is still dead. But TSM is on the Dragon, burning it down. Santorin and Jensen are able to get there. Jensen uses the Oriana ult to burst it, and then right after Santorin smites, it was really well set up and everything, so that TSM didn't have a chance to to get try and get like a big damage off on it to like pseudo smite or anything. And it lets them secure the dragon as well, tying the dragon score, giving them Baron. Uh, and I mean, at that point, gold is practically even. Yeah. Um... So, but at this point, I feel like the Jin is so online. If you look at his items, uh, and this really was a key factor in these last in these last couple of fights after the Baron's obtained, uh, the Jin just outputs so much damage at this point. Uh, and obviously, having Oriana mid, Oriana scales extremely well as well. Uh, and, and this isn't something we can say very often, especially with like an Azir on TSM. Uh, TSM gets outscaled here, which is insane, and. I think a big part of it comes down to, like, because Tactical didn't have a go button, <laughs> uh, he wasn't just inting here. Um, he was actually, like, playing very clean on the Jin, And as a result, he's 6-2-3 and three and manages to get that six-item power spike before anyone else, and it uh, making him the strongest and highest damage champ in this game. And at this point, like... I think TSM kind of realized they need to fight either in their base on towers or not at all. Uh, however, at the same time, they walk out into their uh, bot side jungle for some reason, get hooked, and and they're they're fighting four v five at that point to defend their base, which is just completely hopeless. Like Speaker gets caught out uh, speaking to, you know how poorly the jungles were playing. Like, why do you walk out when they're pushing your base anyways? Why wouldn't you just want to fight in your base? 
yeah, uh, Spica did not play well at all this game, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, and even at, at one point here, uh, after the Baron push is, is over, TL takes a recall. And Tactical actually ends up selling the Collector in favor of Stormraiser, giving him even more burst damage uh, on top of what he's already got. And we see that in, in the last team fight where TL just makes a push bot lane and he's practically two-shotting people. It's ridiculous how much damage he's doing. Oh yeah, it's insane. And then from that point, they, they basically just steamroll over and close out the game. Like, there's no defense TSM can put up. Yeah, so like TL starts this game really shaky, which is different from what we've seen from them. Uh, the typical TL games are super strong early game, and then tactical ints, which makes late game very hard. Uh, we see the complete opposite here, though. They, they did not look good early game. You know, Jensen had some misplays and stuff. Um, but they looked so clean later on. I mean, like, that that's kind of second Baron fight uh, after the, the kills had come across and they re-engage and stuff. TL just played that so well, kiting back perfectly, not taking any damage from anyone on TSM, getting the kill on Spica, and then being able to turn and get lost as well. And then being able to uh, like split the team so that they get both of the key objectives on the map at that time, saving themselves from having to go up against an Infernal Soul. It was just it was so clean later on. And honestly, I think that's a theme we're we're going to see, and I'll try to highlight a little more going forward uh, from TL in this series. They do tend to sort of botch and blow plays early game, and then make up for it through the mid game. Again, sort of uh, highlighting and exploiting TSM's weaknesses of skirmishing in the river. Uh, I, I think that's where the real difference in turn is in a lot of these games. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think that was like probably the most exciting game out of this entire weekend. A am, I, am I wrong in saying that? I agree. Minus uh, one point in one of the later games in this series. Uh, game four at the end where TL just keeps failing to close out the game. Yeah. I I feel like other than that like like from a competitive standpoint, yes, this was the most interesting. From like a comeback potential standpoint, which is something you always want to sort of see, uh that was also interesting, but yeah, that th this was probably the top game, which is kind of sad for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh so game 2, Azir gets banned. Good job, coach chat. Already Already a huge step up for TL. <laughs> uh, and overall, I think TSM just gets majorly outdrafted here. I mean, they put PoE on Lucian. We see so many weird picks here. Oh, I do not like... The Lucian is my least favorite of all of them, honestly. Just because it's on PoE. Even over the Rumble? Yeah. I thought the Rumble looked so bad. I mean, that's the thing. You get into the actual game, and it's like... Hooney was was just griefing this whole game, it felt. But looking at it in picks and bans, I was far more upset about the Lucian pick than the Rumble pick. I was, like, excited about Rumble. I was excited to see that champ. Uh, I was I was not excited at all to see PoE's Lucian again. He played it uh, once or twice in, in the regular season as well, and, oh, God, he does not look good on this champion at all. Keep him on his ear. Keep him on control, mages. Yeah, I very much agree with you. But then, yeah, that that leads us to to our next point. Rumble gets picked. Uh, it goes top lane. They pick it as a 
AP damage option because they have PoE on the Lucian. Lost is on Aphelios, which I'm also not a fan of that pick. I don't think it's a very strong champion right now. Uh, Speaker runs a pack with Udyr. So they, they need the AP option. And the trio were actually talking about this uh, like in game one, talking about how they've been seeing a lot more rumbles in their solo queue games and stuff, and that it's actually like just an insane amount of damage that it's able to do. Um, they seemed like pretty high on this champ overall, but then you get it in the actual game, and oh my god, does Huni look like trash on this champion? And most of it's the ultimates. Uh, Rumble ultimate is like that's the thing. He was just throwing it out on cooldown uh so so we actually got the opportunity to watch these games together in person um and i i remember at one point just looking at you and saying like rumble is ulting more than udir this game it's insane it was oh my god i hated it i hated it so much i love this champion um i play a ton of arams and rumble is busted in arams with his ultimate uh, I know how much damage that thing can do. I'm always, like, top of the damage charts in those games just because of that ability. Even when he was using it in teamfights, I feel like he was mispositioning it. So I think part of it was him playing the ultimate poorly, but the other part of it is, like, consider this. What tools does TSM have on their lineup here to keep people on the Rumble ultimate? Like, none. They have Threshook. And a Felios root. And, like, Udyr Slap. Yeah. So, really, you're only getting, like, two ticks on everyone before they just casually move off of it? I feel like they need some sort of hard CC, again, maybe like a zone control mage on PoE, if they want to play this Rumble. Uh, or, taking a page out of Perks's books, maybe, um, a Yone could be really good comp, right yeah so you, you have the the same sort of damage distribution ap ad but like picture yone alt with rumble alt yeah because the yone alt like pulls everyone in it, it locks them in place for uh it feels like forever when i play against it <laughs> um yeah it seems like such a potentially strong combo but the issue is it's poe do you think poe is ever going to play a yone I think if he plays Yone, he's going to build something super troll like Ravenous Hydra Triforce Yone or something. <laughs> because like that that's how he builds. He would try and go for the uh like Rageblade build that was all the hype when yeah, like preseason <laughs> was in. And then people realized, like, okay, maybe this isn't actually that strong. <laughs> yeah, um, this is basically a non-game getting into it. Um, out, like, outside of picks and bans. It was a lot of TL playing well. Like, I'll give them that. Santorin was incredible on Nidalee. He looked insane. Um, I feel like there's a few champs that you really don't want Elfari to play. And I think Gangplank is definitely one of them. He looks so good on this champion uh we see him outplaying people in the 1v1s so often on this champ he is insane getting barrel chains off and, and everything um i i think he's probably like one of the best if not the best gangplank player that we have in north america right now it feels bad when you have to go up against it i i think um 
Jensen plays the Ari again, which is interesting. I think he looked a lot better here than he did in the previous game that we talked about. Um, he was actually like making some really nice plays. He honestly like went pretty even against Lucian, which is insane. Again, it's PoE Lucian though, so yeah. Uh, I think it looked a lot cleaner. I think you kind of have to take Jensen's scoreline with a grain of salt at the end of this game. Like I think he was seven and one at the end. It looked really good, but at the same time, when everyone on your team is winning and you're just kind of pushing the other team in constantly, it's easy to get a clean scoreline. I agree, yeah. Um, again, though, it didn't, like, it, I don't think it looked bad by any means here, whereas, like, the last time he played it, it, it looked bad. Like, he was doing no damage. It felt like he wasn't even really getting, like, much CC or playmaking off. Uh, this game... He, I, I think he, he was actually, like, doing things, which is good. I still don't think it's a good pick overall. <laughs> um, but I guess it's, like, an interesting, quote-unquote, pocket pick that he could pull out if, if he's able to do well on it, right? Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's always good to have that depth of champion pool just to not ever be backed into a corner. One of my main notes is Tactical was showing off his Malphite alts in this game. Um, there was a point at like the seven minute mark. He was only level five. There was three TSM members. He jumps over a wall into the middle of three of them. Uh, would have been a beautiful Malphite alt. It's unfortunate he's playing Tristana though, because he just dies. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just kind of the dangers of putting him on Tristana. I mean, fortunately they have enough of a lead that they don't need that extra damage from the marksman early um and they're still able to clean up uh and, and another thing that i gotta say i mentioned like santorin played really well in this nidalee but just to give you more of an idea of of what he was going into like we talk about nidalee as a talia-esque jungler where you really want some form of setup so that you can land the spear easily he doesn't have that here. Like, you have Gangplank Top, who has no hard CC. He just has slows. You have Ari, who has a charm, which isn't bad, but you have to consider, like, the repositioning of them, which, as a pro player, you should be able to do fairly easily, mind you, but it's still something else to consider. Um, it's not, like, as easy as a Renekton stun or something. Uh, Tristana has nothing, and then Nautilus has the hook, uh, slash root with his auto, right? So really, you're going into this with not a ton of hard CC to get those easy spears off. And yet he just smurfs this game, realistically. He was insane on the Nidalee. And even, like I, I remember, like like you said, we were, we were watching these games together. Going into this, it, I kept mentioning, like, wow, Santorin's massive. And you kept saying, yeah, but I mean, he just kind of throws spears and hopes they land. All of them were landing, though. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to worry when it uh, when they all land without fail. Yeah, it was insane. Um, I think this might have been his best game so far this season. Certainly his best Nidalee performance. Yeah. No question there. It, it was just ridiculous. Um, that was mostly my notes on this game, though. Yeah, like, I, I don't think there was anything crazy here. Huni just kind of griefed with the alts. Santorin looked really good. Tactical was showing off his Melfight gameplay. So speaking of griefing, I do have to call out one play in particular, and this is the play around the 1930 mark in this game. 
Huni and Poe chase down Botlane. <laughs> They're chasing Gangplank and Santorin on uh, Nidalee. Yep. And they decide to dive the second tier tower, which is fine. You know, it's in Italy, not too much to worry about. Nidalee hourglasses. And, and like they, they got the initial kill on Alfari as well. Santorin is at like a third of his HP, maybe even a quarter. So Nidalee hourglasses, and they had both turned away and are like taunted by the hourglass. Like, like if you look at the play, they are both walking away. They're both like two thirds away out of tower range. Power of Evil is all the way out of tower range. And they turn around to the sound of the hourglass and like are charmed back into tower and both die. Yeah. <laughs> At the pro level. Yeah, it was... In a playoff game on a top four team. This is so, so inexcusable. It was really, really bad. And watching it, it seems like it was Hooney's call. I mean, obviously, you don't know for sure not being able to hear the voice comms and stuff. But Hooney was the one that, like, turned around first and started walking back into tower range first. And then PoE followed. Um, and the reason that I'm also leaning towards this being Hooney's call is, although it's gotten a lot better this year overall, this is stuff that he kind of became known for over the past couple seasons, right? Yeah, for sure. Um I think part of it may also be that he's so accustomed to playing uh, tank-style champions at this point, right? The Nar, the Renekton, uh, the Gragas, that may maybe he sort of trained himself to like, okay, I my health bar looks like it's at half. I can take five tower shots. I can take six tower shots. On Rumble, you can take two or three tower shots. Yeah, it was it was a bad play. Uh, and actually, I guess I do have one more point after, uh, off of that because immediately after that play, the camera cuts to mid lane and tactical just solo kills lost. And uh, it, it reminded me of, of um, double lift. Like after that play, they were they were like laughing about the the TSM int and and kind of trolling TSM for that, and then it cuts back to tactical lost falling to the ground dead, <laughs> and double lift was just like, okay, so can someone explain to me how Aphelios is not just the worst ADC right now? <laughs> um, he does not like that champ. He was, and sneaky seemed to not be a fan of it either. Uh, both of them think it's pretty bad, so I'm not too sure why TSM picked it here. Maybe Lost thinks it's good for some reason or something. But for furthermore, aside from the Melfight alts, as you call them, on Tristana, Tactical had Lost's number. Like, Lost did not look good th this entire series. They, ha they had the pressure in lane, but that's expected with Aphelios. Aphelios is so difficult to play against early on in those early stages uh, especially if you're not getting some extra help because it's so easy for him to just push you in and he's got like so much range when he's got the sniper uh after that he gets the infernum which just makes it so easy to push in the lane and also like poke you and stuff it's it, it can be really oppressive to play against and lost was playing that very well but as soon as it made it to like out of lane phase tactical was just obliterating him left and right yep and uh really tsm don't stand a chance in any fight they take i mean they take fights around baron uh later on in the game because they have to 
because that like it, if there is any potential for them to come back it is around an objective like baron they don't the team just falls flat on their face they lose and at that point tl is just so far ahead they, they just march it down mid they just close out yeah i i mean at 20 minutes they're down 6k gold yeah it's pretty insurmountable uh so let's get into game three because i don't think there's really much else to talk about game three had some really interesting picks um I think even more so than the game before. Uh, they pick TSM picks the Seraphine in this game and sends it mid on Poe. Yeah, so this is an interesting flex, um, and it works out pretty well for them in this game. Yeah, Poe actually looked really, really good on Seraphine. He had some insane ultimates. So this is Poe. I think going back to more of a zone control mage. This isn't a traditional zone control mage as it doesn't output a lot of damage it's more of that supportive style uh but it does seem to fit poe's play style significantly more than like an 80 carry type of champion without a doubt yeah um as i said he looked he looked really good on it and i was super skeptical of this pick going in just because they have no AP damage. Uh, you have Huni on Camille who took ignite and I hate it. Uh, Spika's on Hecarim lost on Tristana and sword art is on Nautilus who really doesn't do that much damage. He, he is just a pure tank. So the only AP damage that you have coming through is Seraphine and she has really good poke through laning phase and good wave clear and stuff. But when it comes to team fights, like she's not, really doing damage uh but tsm is able to make it work yeah uh, another sort of interesting niche pick we saw come out this game was jensen on silas and i love this oh this looks so good in the early game skirmishes especially it's like silas and one other player left versus like three to four tsm members and silas just heals so much like it's unbelievable jensen was smurfing on this champ like I, I am surprised that this is the first time that we've ever seen him play it because it looks like he has so much practice on it. He was so clean. But I think into TSM's comp, and may, maybe this is the reason why they faltered so extremely in the later game, I think Silas is too much of a short-range champ. And I think into TSM's sort of wanting to teamfight comp with the Hecarim, the Seraphine, uh, and the Nautilus CC... I, I just don't think there is a place for Silas to get in. Yeah, I, I think TSM has way too much peel. TSM's Dragon Control did look a lot cleaner this fight, or, or this game. They skirmished around it better. Uh, I think it was just Jensen sort of not tricking them, but like like bluffing the low HP that really caught them off guard. If it, wa if it wasn't for Jensen's lead and Jensen's sort of... Um, I, I guess throwing them off would be would be the best way to put it. Uh, I I think they clean up dragons early a lot more for sure. This game would have been way more one sided if it weren't for Jensen early on in this game. I think um, this game we see tactical on Ezreal and Doublelift was really high on this going on. He, he's mentioned that he's seen tactical play Ezreal a lot in like solo queue and stuff, and he looks really really clean on the champ. It did not look really clean here. <laughs> uh, he, uh, al although it, it doesn't have like an AOE at the end or anything, 
he was doing his best to try and Malphite ult. He was he was pressing E, blinking forward. Was not a good look. I will say though, at the fourteen thirty uh, mark in this game, tactical sees lost approaching bot on a ward, preemptively ults him and like E's forward and almost one shots him. Yeah. In like one combo, it looked really nice. Other than that, like th this game was really back and forth. Like there was a lot of skirmishing. There's a lot of like trade two for one or two for three. Yeah, it was super close in the early game, and like I said, I think a big part of that was how well um, Jensen was playing in, in a lot of the like cleanup situations he had. Yeah, those sort of dirty skirmish fights are exactly what Silas thrives in because he has the mobility. He has the opportunity to heal from low. Yeah, it it, it was really nice. It was a good look, I think. Um, and I, I feel like for the first time ever, Alfari actually loses lane and, like, looks pretty useless overall in this game. So they start off this game really poorly. Uh, they overcommit on a top fight. Yeah. So they push Huni off of tower. He is back towards his tier two. And they just, like, sit there between him and the tower trying to deny but they don't know where the jungle is, and the jungle just comes up and gets a double, or is it a double kill? Two for one? No, no, they just got the one on Alfari. Okay. And, like, overall, it was a dumb position to be in, but Alfari played it well, because as soon as he saw the jungler, he, like, started running further into, like, enemy territory to, like, pull them away from Santorin to, to allow him to get out safely. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just bad positioning. I'm not quite sure what they were thinking, since they didn't see jungle or anything. Yeah, so that's, I think that's like the start of the woes for Elfari, and then after that, like, he just didn't really get the comeback attention he needed to be at a relevant spot for most of this game. Yeah, and we see him struggle a lot. He was on uh, the Aatrox this game, and I mean, we've seen him play pretty well on, on Aatrox, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, but it, it it was really rough going for him in this one. Really felt like he just wasn't able to impact the game at all. Yeah, I think overall in this game, TSM did not look as clean pushing objectives as TL do when they get a lead, mm -hmm. especially contrasting from the previous game. Um, they manage it. I think Seraphine ult was a really good tool for them. Um, it just kind of prevents TL from ever running directly at them. Yeah, yeah, I, I think TSM drafted really, really well here. Um, they have like a it's interesting because they almost have like a split team comp where like you've got Sword Art, Spica, and Huni who want to go in. Um, if it were tactical on the Tristana <laughs> on the, on this team, obviously he would be jumping in with them as well. Um, but like Tristana has the option to kind of like quote unquote dive as well. But then you've got the Seraphine who is much more of a like healing champ. Um, but they actually play it really well, and, and they do kind of let TL just engage on them in, in a lot of the fights, and then use their dive to, like, counter-engage. Uh, and it, it was a really good look, I think. TSM played it played it really well. Yep. So TSM ultimately coming out on top of this one. Um, I don't really have a lot more to say about it. Do you have any other notes? Yeah, I, I just wanted to go over the, the, like, stat lines for some of the TSM members. Um... Huni, nothing crazy. He was 4-2-6. and six, Like, very solid. Spico was, was pretty good on the Hacker Rim here. He was 5-3-11. and 11, uh, Getting a lot of assists. Pretty high KP. Um, he actually... he Yeah, I was about to say, he actually had 100% KP, which is insane. 
Um, and POE really showing that he can play these support picks. He was 0-0 and 15 with a 94% KP. That is an awesome scoreline for a Seraphine. That's exactly that's, what you want. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, Lost played really well as well. He was 7-2 and 3. And Sword Art looked, looked good. He was 0-2-13. Um, I just wanted to go over that. Like, Sword Art had 81% KP. It, it was a really clean game for TSM here, and it it really looked like everyone knew their role and played their role well. Yep, and then uh, on on the flip side, really quick, uh, Jensen finishing 5-1-2, and two, so he had... He had 78% KP. Yeah, one kill he didn't participate in, um, and also uh, only one death in that last fight. So he really did play clean on the Silas. Hopefully we see more of it, because it was a really fun pick to watch. Yeah, I really, really want to see more of Silas. I love that champion. I think it's so fun. Uh, and then moving into game four, uh, there were some interesting picks here as well, I think. Uh, m mostly for like the ADC role. Uh, you have Sivir coming out for Tactical and Zaya for Lost, which are champs, in champs that we've seen like here and there. But uh, it, it feels like they're more fringe picks and not like actual meta picks or anything. Uh, PoE picks up the Seraphine again, and this time Jensen takes the TF, which we've seen teams like moving away from globals overall. I was happy to see it come back here. But TL looking for that global pressure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we, we've mentioned it many times. Both of us love seeing globals overall just because it, it makes the game really fun. Also, I don't think we ever really saw it do poorly to the point where it had to be cut from teams uh playbooks it just sort of fell out of meta like other things just replaced it so i think it's still there it's still like hiding in the wings just waiting to come back and it looked good this game oh it looked incredible jensen was insane on this champion honestly he was 5-0 and 13 had a 90 percent kp like if there was a play happening it was a result of him <laughs> And TSM tries for this uh, support mid-comp again, uh, two games in a row, playing into a different style of team comp from TL with the global. Uh, I understand where they're at, where it's like, okay, this is the one thing that's worked in the last three games. We have to just keep trying what's working because we, we're losing everything else. Mm -hmm. But TL sort of had it figured out after one game against it, I feel. And it, it, I don't even think it was necessarily like PoE playing poorly on the Seraphine or anything. Uh, like, he actually played really well considering they lost. He was 4-3-10 and 10 with 100% kill participation. Um, it almost feels like he was one of the only reasons that they were somewhat in this game through, through different points. Uh, early in this game, we see TL fail another early turret dive. So this is two games in a row. They've been getting advantages off these sort of like big Rome team fights, just where where uh, Core JJ sort of appears in top lane and creates a numbers advantage. But TSM was ready and they just turned the fight immediately. I think this might be something that sort of played out of TL's playbook going forward where teams are realizing sort of like, okay, this is when the roam potential is, so look for it, uh, and, and playing around that a little bit more. I think the TPs really help with this. Uh, so I, I think 
TL may have to be more measured with this sort of dive going forward in the playoffs. Oh, for sure. And I, I think one of the big parts that it, it turned out in favor of TSM as well is the Gregus. Gregus is so hard to dive. I, I really don't like that teams are continuing to try and dive this champion because he has like all of the tools he needs to survive or at least get one back. Yeah, for sure. Lots of interrupts and slows uh, and ju just general tankiness as well. Um, it feels like in this game, Alfari was uh, trying to get revenge <laughs> on Hooney through most of the game. He was... The best way that I can put it, and, and what I have in the notes, is Elfari is just ass-blasting Hooney this game. Yeah, I, I don't think I can really recall any point in this game where it looked like Hooney was in control of what was happening top. It was, in like, the only time was that one dive, and that was just because, like, TSM, it seemed like, had, had the number on, on TL and responded, like, instantly. Otherwise, man, Elfari was... He was on this game. Uh, I mean, he ended with a, like, 48 CS lead. He was up in CS almost the whole time. He had a 4.3 thousand gold lead over Hooney. Uh, he was 7-3 and 10. He had, like, 85% kill, particip kill participation. He was just... He he looks so good on the NAR. <laughs> um, so after that top skirmish, things cool down for a little bit. And then there is another skirmish around Harold top side and tsm just totally blow it like i have to say tsm fix your river fighting for goodness sakes it's it's such a consistent theme and yeah like, like this is just a guaranteed thing like oh tsm wants to skirmish us we have to take it because they're just going to throw horribly in some sort of way uh i i don't know if teams are like discerning it to that extent but it really does seem like it's just a sure win for the other team. Was this the fight that Alfari had, like, the massive, almost five-man ult? Yeah. So in this fight as well, um, Jensen lays down the TF ult, so they get full vision of, of all of TSM. Alfari on the NAR, goes Mega, jumps in, gets a four-man ult, super close to a five-man ult. Uh, he only gets the stun on three of them. PoE didn't hit the wall, but that that was really the, the massive turning point in this fight for TL. Like, for some reason, TSM is just in this ball. They're all standing on top of each other, and you're against a, a NAR who you can see is nearly mega. Like, TSM has full vision control as well. They have the scuttle. They've got a pink in the one bush, a ward in the other bush. Like, they see all of TL. They see Alfari is, is about to go mega, and yet they're just clumped in this tight ball. Yeah, it really is poor play. I will say, after this fight, Seraphine comes out with all the kills. Ser Seraphine ends up 4-0-1 after one more kill, which is great, but what does Seraphine do with that lead now? It, yeah, th and that's part of the issue, and like, I... I don't think you can, like, fault TSM. Like, I, I don't think they were, like, trying to put kills on, on Seraphine or anything. That's just the way that it turned out, and it makes it hard. Like, obviously, you would much rather have those kills on anyone else, because uh, even Hooney on Gragas is building AP. He's going for, like, a burst build. Um, like, the only person that's 
arguably worse to have it on his sword art. But even then, I mean, at least if sword art gets a bunch of kills, he's just going to be, like, unkillable. He's going to get super tanky. Um, it, it, it was an un- unfortunate turn of events overall with uh, with PoE getting every single kill, pretty much, making it even harder for TSM to try and yeah, win. Yeah, and I think this sort of just highlighted and emphasized TSM's error in the draft with this game, which is, where is the damage coming from? Like, so you pointed out Gragas is building extra AP so that there is some sort of burst, some sort of AP burst there. But, like, Spika on Olaf is running in and not soloing anyone. Yeah, he didn't look great, I think. Like, the the only true late-game carry potential is coming from Lost. Yeah. So, having only one person... And I think Lost is still kind of shaky when put in those positions, too. I totally agree with that. He he does not look confident enough yet to really be trusted to carry. Yeah, like there there's been obviously he's had a couple pop-off games. He's gotten a Penta once this season. Um but it's inconsistent still. Um uh, th- this game is fairly even looking in kills. However, TL just steamrolls all the towers. They're up 6k at 20 minutes and from that point when he, when you throw when you have and at that point, when they've built that sort of lead for themselves, it's very, very unlikely you're going to come back against them. Especially when you're against a Sivir as well. Sivir is such a strong champion late game with her wave clear and also just team fight damage. And she gives your team a go button. Yeah, I, I, I really like this draft out of TL. I mean, Santorin game in and game out. Or sorry, uh, Alfari game in game out looks really strong, but I feel like his his key performances have been on like Gangplank and Nar, like those champions. He, it looks like he's just on another level with them. Um, Jensen looked so good on the TF, and then obviously you've got Tactical on a champ that doesn't have a jump, so you don't need to worry about the Malphite ult. Uh, Core JJ on Leona, which seems to be one of his favored champs. He doesn't pull it out too often right now because it's kind of fallen out of meta, but. Still looks really, really clean on it. Yeah, overall in these games, like TSM didn't play well when it when it comes down to it. Um, I I I don't think they like the only win that they actually deserved is the game is, is the win that they got. Um, all of these other games, had they have won, I really don't think they deserved the win because they had some some major misplays. Yeah, I think if they continued their steady play in game one, the way it was looking before the Baron throw. They would have deserved to win that one. For sure. But that misplay was just so egregious. I, I totally agree with you. It wasn't it wasn't winnable after that, and they didn't really deserve the opportunity. Uh, and then... Do, sorry, did you have anything else for the TSM TL series? Just getting towards the end of this game, speaking of egregious misplays, TL tries and fails twice to end this game. They triple inhib, they get into TSM's nexus towers and they try and fail twice before they're actually able to close out the game i just i find it really funny i think this is like what the support comp is supposed to do at the end of the game but like they're sitting on their nexus so you have no room to play at this point anyways the game's just over uh but yeah that was it like like just sort of something to look at tl for to improve on in the future uh, and that's about it. Otherwise, you know, 
pretty fun series overall. Like like TSM didn't look that competitive. Oh yeah, it it was it was a great series to watch. And and definitely the better of the two series this week this weekend. I also got to say I think uh Double Lift Sneaky and Medios caster cursed them because all of them picked TSM to win, I'm pretty sure. I know at the very least Sneaky and Double Lift both picked TSM. Uh I want to say Double Lift picked TSM 3-1 and sneaky picked them three two and then i can't remember what medios's pick was but he said three two for the series uh so yeah they got caster cursed <laughs> yeah that's too bad like i obviously being a tsm fan really wanted to see them do well wanted to see a little more out of them uh but tl definitely earned this one. Oh, for sure yeah uh and speaking of another team eh, honestly i don't even really want to say earning their wins but just being dominant, uh, Cloud9 just obliterates 100 Thieves in this series. Yep. It's... It was a, a very, very clean 3-0. <laughs> it was... Uh, you felt bad for 100 Thieves watching some of these games. Yeah, like, pretty much every single game was a very decisive Cloud9 win. My, my very first note on this series is that Ryoma is starting. Yeah, in all three of the games. You would have thought they would have swapped them towards the end like maybe game three or something uh just seeing how the series was going this makes me question whether demonte is ever going to get a starting position on 100 thieves again this was something the casters were saying where they wanted to see him come back uh something freak tweeted out at the end of the series about next week so we'll see i think if we don't see demonte next week uh we're, we're not going to see him on 100 thieves again yeah and uh this was something that medios actually memed as well uh he meant like when they they got into this and saw that Rioma was starting um he mentioned like oh that's weird like Rioma's not starting i for some reason i feel like i remember 100 thieves management making a really weird decision to bench like one of their best players before as well and uh he was making reference to uh, two or three years ago now when uh i 100 thieves had like a really tough loss which sucked but then they made the decision to bench medios and like he didn't play for like the rest of that season and 100 thieves looked much worse as a result of it <laughs> and 100 thieves is a team you have to remember that looked really strong like at, coming out of uh i know what was preseason of the lock-in coming out of the lock-in tournament i think we had them picked as a top four team which like yeah they looked like a top four team. And, and to be fair, they are, right? They're, they're in the upper playoff bracket. So they are, quote unquote, a top four team. They, but in this series in particular, they do not look like a top four team. Absolutely not. Honestly, like, <laughs> after these losses, I feel like they shouldn't even get a chance. <laughs> Those were so bad. Really bad. They played so bad. <laughs> uh, in the, And I feel like they're an early game team, too. So any lead they they get has to come from the early game. They are. Uh, To be fair, in the first game, 100 Thieves manages to pick up the first three dragons. It gives them a win condition, but they just get too far behind on everything else. It does. Uh, And in this game, you have Someday on Gangplank, which I think is really scary. Uh, I think he's another competitor for, like, best Gangplank in North America. He looks really good on the champ normally. Fudge looked incredible on the Renekton, though. And I mean, I, I know Renekton is... I, I feel like more of an easier champ to play and stuff. He has, like, a, a very clear play pattern. It, his kit is very strong overall and stuff. 
Um, but but he looked really good on it, and that's a note that I have for this whole series. Fudge just looked incredible. Definitely props to him. I know we have been hard on him all regular season, basically, uh, because of gameplay errors he's made, sort of nonsensical decisions. But in this series in particular, he looked very good. If this is the fudge we see going forward in playoffs, I really like C9's chances of taking the whole thing. Definitely, yeah. Uh, like, this was his best showing so far i think aside from uh i feel like i keep mentioning it, but aside from that one irelia game that he had where he really popped off and carried um this is the best that he has looked so far and hopefully it is a show of things to come hopefully it wasn't just like a one series where for somehow he got someday's number um i i hope that we continue to see this um and another thing playoff perks Holy shit, uh, we talk about like playoff TSM and the buff that they get normally get in, t- in playoffs. Playoff perks is insane. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is on a champion that just goes in nonstop too. So you expect the score lines to be a little bit worse. Oh my god, he was <laughs> he was a menace this game. Um, he was four one and six playing the Yone. Yep. Uh, and up on CS as well. Toward like at the end of the game, he he ended up up CS on Rioma, who's playing Oriana. His ults looked very clean this game. Yeah, it was nuts. He had a 63 KP, which is like pretty solid, uh, especially considering he's he's playing like a Yone, who I feel like is more of a one v one skirmishing champ. And the fact that there were kills just all over the map nonstop. This this whole series really was sort of a bloodbath of C9, just like going in on fights, knowing they can win, playing confident, yeah, and really executing the way we would expect a top North American team to execute. Yeah, and I, I mean, speaking of like these fights being chaotic and stuff, I want to talk about Zven as well. He played Ezreal this game, and uh, it, it really felt like this was just the, the EU boys uh, smurfing on 100 Thieves. Uh, Zven was insane through this series as well. He was 6-2-8 and eight on Ezreal. He had an 88% kill participation. That is insane. Like, especially, like, if you watch these games, you see how chaotic and spread out they are and everything. To have an 88% kill participation, I think that shows how accurate he was being with these Ezreal ults. Because it felt like every time he was hitting, like, at least two to three members, which is nuts. I feel like, typically the ADC is the one you expect to have one of the lowest KPs because they're not typically involved in fights unless there is like an early dragon fight bot uh, until that sort of later mid-game team fight phase. They're the ones that are left off in sidelines farming for the longest. It's typically like a competition between jungler and support, I think, for highest kill participation because those are the two that are like the playmakers, right? Uh, and not that either of them played bad. Vulcan played Leona, was 1, 2, and 9. Uh, he had a 63 k- KP, solid. Uh, Blabber looked really good on Lilia. He played it a few times, uh, twice this series, I want to say. Looked fantastic. Uh, he was 2, 1, and 9 in this game. 69% kill participation. Nice. He looked good except for the Miss Smite at Baron. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that was in this game. Uh, Closer did outsmite him at one point, which... It's kind of nuts because I think Blabber was up in levels most of the time. Uh, I actually like I, now that I'm thinking about it, I want to go back and see if he didn't have Smite or something for that fight. Because that was really strange to see. He's usually really on top of of the Smites. 
both smites are up 13 to 12 in Blabber's favor. Yeah, that's rough. That's that's really rough. Fortunately, doesn't make a difference. C9 loses Baron, immediately turns and aces 100 Thieves, like, a minute later around Dragon Pet. So, the Baron buff really wasn't effective. It was just, like, a little extra gold, a slight delay. C9 had to take a little bit more time to close out the game, but they ultimately do. Do you have any other notes on game one? It, it was pretty cut and dry. Uh, just something that was interesting is we see the Fasting Senna for 100 Thieves, but uh, it's not the typical Tom Kench support. We see it with Set this time. Uh, and I like this look. I think that's actually a another pretty good duo for like a Fasting lane because Set is really strong uh, when he's getting gold. Yeah, I really like this too. He becomes insanely tanky. And also, it, it, I think it's one of who he's favorite champs. It, it's probably one of his best overall he he typically plays incredibly well on set i feel like these fasting lanes later in the game it becomes so difficult to fight these fasting lanes just because the gold advantage they accrue through the mid uh early and mid game is just so high that other lanes aren't able to match up at that point but as we're seeing in in the early and mid game the adc is behind in gold overall which can make it hard in, in that stage to win fights. Yes, especially when the team's as good as Cloud9 and can capitalize so thoroughly on those uh, those differences. Uh, overall, and a trend for this whole series, though, Cloud9 just outplays 100 Thieves overall. Um, game 2, it was a lot of the same. However, this time, I want to go over this draft. Blabber gets Olaf. I knew it. It's right in my notes, too. Blabber gets Olaf. Bla Blabber gets Olaf, which is already a massive, massive mistake from 100 Thieves. Uh, and you would have thought that they've learned this lesson, because it's not the first time that they've allowed Blabber to play Olaf. Um, and then you also have Fasting Bot Lane for Cloud9. They're one of the first teams that we saw pull this out, and they've been they've had some of the most success on it as well. They look so clean on the Zvenna and Tom Kench. I mean, they're basically... They're, they're showing 100 Thieves how to play it here. Yeah, it, it's insane. And then also in the top lane, you have Fudge on Scion, who we've seen be the only one to actually like successfully play the Scion top. He looks so good on the champ. Um, he's playing it into the Aatrox, and like he's, he's winning 1v1s <laughs> against Aatrox on the Scion. It's just ridiculous how much of an advantage he's able to get in that lane. Um, and you have perks on Oriana, who I feel like has been like shaky at times on control mages, but he looked really, really good this game. Like overall, massive outdraft for Cloud9. Uh, and I think a big part of it is just 100 Thieves making mistakes and not banning or picking away the correct champions. Like you cannot let Blabber get Olaf. Yeah, I totally agree. You look across the board and it's nothing but comfort for C9. And where they're already just the better team. <laughs> like Yeah. And then you also see this like weird jinx picks. The, you also see this weird jinx pick coming out from the bot lane of a hundred thieves. I think that is this the first time we've seen Jinx? I believe this is the first time that we've seen Jinx in LCS. It's seen some bans here and there. Uh but yeah, I believe that this is the first time that it's actually made it through. And Sneaky loves this pick. Uh, and he kind of convinced Doublelift as well that uh, of how strong it is. Um, it, it, it was actually kind of funny because uh, throughout the course of this weekend, 
with the TSM series, they got the Sivir pick, which is something that Doublelift really, really likes right now. He thinks it's insanely strong. And then on the other hand, with this with this series, you have the the Jinx pick, which, like I said, Sneaky is a huge fan of. Um, but it seems like it, it seems like FBI has never played this champ before. He looked so uncomfortable on it, and like one of the key parts of Jinx's kit and uh, like lane pressure that they're able to get and stuff is through her traps. He didn't successfully trap anyone, I, I don't think. Uh, at least not when it mattered. Like you, he even has setup for it with Thresh. It's so easy with Thresh because like Thresh lands a hook, you throw the traps down like between Thresh and that champ, and Thresh gets the pulls which pulls them into the traps. Like, it's so simple, and yet he doesn't do it. He, he keeps, like, throwing them in the wrong positions, and it's so frustrating to watch because, like, I feel like they actually had a lot of opportunities for kills in that bot lane, but he just doesn't get it. Yeah, it's really frustrating to see. I also think that, you know, Jinx is one of these really well-scaling ADCs uh, with the extra attack speed and such. Yeah. She can be insane late game. To not get that advantage early uh, is just really detrimental because you want to get her online as soon as possible to really start making an impact in these fights. And I think overall the Jinx pick actually makes sense into Cloud9's comp because Cloud9 has like three tanks realistically. Like you, you have these three meatballs in the front line with Scion, Olaf, and um, Tom Kench. So you're getting like a ton of value off of your rockets with the splash damage and stuff like that that's one main thing that you want to look for when considering picking jinx how much value am i actually getting off of the rockets and if the answer is like maybe i'm hitting two people it's probably not a great pick if it's like okay yeah like i'm hitting at least two probably three people in team fights that's so much extra value so i like i don't think it's necessarily a bad pick here but fbi looks so uncomfortable on it yeah definitely um other than that, though, like, C9 just appears to be in the driver's seat again. They get the first three dragons, no problem. There's not a lot that 100 Thieves do that's really conducive to them winning. They try, they show up, but none of it's effective. One, well, the attempts that they make early on are diving Scion. They do it twice, I'm pretty sure. And Scion is... I, th I think overall, like, a bit easier to dive than the Gregus. He still has, like, a decent amount of CC. He has the shield and stuff. But the other thing that Scion has is his passive. So when he dies, he becomes a zombie. He's still able to hit things for a little bit, which means he's not missing out on CS or experience when you dive him. Yeah, that's the funny thing. Which is, like, one of the main advantages that you get from killing like a solo laner is is now they're missing out on gold you're able to like maybe get a plate or two but that's not a thing with scion yeah scion just sort of shrugs and clears the wave anyways it yeah and it like they they try it twice and it it, it it's just not something that you should do <laughs> it's it's the same with greg is like that's not a champ that you should be looking to dive because you're not getting anything out of it really um the one last note that i have for this game is Zvena is just insane. <laughs> he he's so good on this champion. Um, of course, I'm I'm talking about Zven on Senna. Um, he ends the game four zero and ten with an eighty eight percent kill participation. 
yeah that's that stat line is just crazy it is easier for senna to pick up assists just because she's constantly healing the entire team uh and also with the alt but at the same time to play it at this level like it just looks so clean there never really appears to be a time when you can get in on this bot lane and especially like ju just the contrast too of how bad senna looked in the last game compared to how good it looks this game uh really shows i think the like skill discrepancy in the bot lane overall um I, I like fbi and Huhi are not bad like i would say that's actually one of the better bottom lanes in north america overall and yet sven and vulcan just obliterate them through this whole series yeah i i think really across the board aside from maybe top lane the difference in skill uh was just very very prevalent yeah for sure closer did not look good in in any of these games really i think other than smite yes yeah he he, he got which is my last note for this game he stole yeah uh baron from olaf again blabber not looking clean with his smites right now but again we see that it it, it doesn't actually matter and it, it almost makes me think like maybe they they didn't really care and they're just like whatever if this might steal we just kill them all and win the game anyways um yeah uh hopefully that's it though <laughs> otherwise blabber has some work to do so getting into game three of this series um cloud nine gets insanely outdrafted here this is a game that they they should not win yeah if this is uh any other team just based purely on comps they lose a hundred percent it was it, it was such a bad draft. I was so, like, disappointed in them. I Even as a Cloud9 fan, I was hoping that they would lose this game because, like, it, it based on draft, it's not a game that they deserve to win. I mean, I also like to see a Game 5 come through. I, I like an exciting series. I don't like a one-sided series. So I was kind of hoping for the loss just for the sake of having more games to watch. So looking at Cloud9's draft, they have Fudge on set. Which, that was a bit of a flex pick, because they locked in Karma earlier. And uh, I think most people kind of thought that was going to go top, because it's something that we've seen a few times now. But they end up... Uh, the Karma top. Because they, they had locked in the Karma earlier. I think a lot of people were expecting that to go top lane. I know I was when I saw it. Um... But they end up shifting that to support. They lock in the set. I think that was like last pick or second last pick for them. Um, and then to fill out the rest of the comp, they have Lilia jungle for Blabber. He's looked great on it. Perk's playing the Tristana and Zven on Ezreal. And uh, the issue with this comp is they don't have a tank. Because even though Fudge is playing set, he's not building tank. He, uh, he rushed Bork first item. Which is like a common set build, but you'd think he would play to fill the hole in the team comp. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he rushes the Blade of the Ruined King, then he goes into the Stride Breaker. Um, so, like, although this is a bit more of a, a common top lane set build, um, I feel like just based on their team comp, it might have been better to go for full tank. Uh, but as we see as the game, flo uh, as the game is played, it doesn't matter at all 
Yeah, so there were a couple weird plays early that just kind of set C9 ahead in this one. Um, starting with the invade from Closer, which is just instantly spotted out and dealt with. Yeah, so Blabber, Blabber starts out by taking Closer's wraiths, or chickens. Uh, and as a result of this, like it, it seems like Closer is just trying to respond by going invading, but like Cloud9 sees it right away. Three-man collapse, you've got perks coming from mid lane and the bottom lane collapsing on the Gromp, and like Closer is just dead. <laughs> yeah, he has no chance. He's got no escapes, no dashes, he just runs kind of quick. Uh, and at this point in the game, he really doesn't even run all that quick, so he's just dealt with. Um, and that kind of just sets the tone for the game. Like, C9 is just on it at every step. Yep. Uh, it was a pretty big jungle gap early on, I think. Um, that one kill, or that one death, I should say, set Closer uh, really far behind. And we know what Blabber is able to do when he's allowed to either just free farm or when he gets ahead enough to just be constantly ganking lanes. He plays extremely well with a lead. Um, uh, another interesting thing, we see the Cho'Gath come out again this game for... 100 Thieves, Someday plays it. It looks like he maybe doesn't know what this champion does at times. Um, doesn't seem to quite understand the power of Cho'Gath's ultimate. Yeah, he just seems sort of off. Like, the CC didn't quite seem to be as impactful as you expect it to be out of, you know, a literal CC bot uh, to, to kind of set up those big chomps. I, I almost feel like Someday suffers from the opposite of what Impact used to used to suffer from where like he can't play tanks but he can play like damaging top laners sort of thing yeah i could kind of see that because i feel like we've i feel like we've seen him struggle quite a bit through this season when he's on tanks specifically he looks really good when he's on like more carry champions but his tank play has not looked very nice um so the one thing trogath brings aside from that like big blow-up potential on a carry is uh, neutral objective control. Because no one outsmites a Cho'Gath. But in this game, C9 plays it effectively to a point where Cho is like a non-factor, which is really interesting to me. Like, 100 Thieves are able to pressure objectives, but C9 is able to sort of force the fight before Cho'Gath gets that chomp off on the objective. Yeah, like, we, we see a few times through this game, 100 Thieves will, will start an objective, and Cloud9 walks in, and then 100 Thieves just kind of walks away for some reason, even though they're, like, guaranteed to get the objective if they just stay on it for, for another second or two, and then maybe they look to turn the fight. It, it was weird. Like, 100 Thieves looked so reluctant to fight through a lot of this game as well. And it's kind of funny because, like, it looked like Someday knew his role as Cho'Gath, too, because he was, like, the last one on the objective, and, like, 100 Thieves is backing away, and Cho's just sitting there, like, punching the dragon, like, guys, guys, it's at 2,000, everyone hit it once, like, come, come on. Uh, but, yeah, they, they just couldn't really do it. Yeah, it was rough. Um, like I said, Blabber was on the Lilia this game. He looks, he looks so clean on this champion now. Um... He, he was hitting multi-man sleeps with, like, all of his alts, pretty much. Getting really clean engages on a champ that can be pretty damn hard to engage with. Um, he, he looks really good on it. 
something that teams are gonna have to look out for in the future i think i mean the the list of champs that you have to watch out for uh if blabber gets him is just becoming longer and longer yeah it really seems like any any champ that he goes to pick up uh he succeeds with um and uh, another repeat champ here is the Zven on Ezreal. He looks really good on this champ. Um, in game one, Doublelift was kind of shitting on it because uh, I, I guess he's not a big fan of, of Ezreal right now. And he says, like, man, Perks really just forces Ezreal anytime he gets to playoffs, eh? Like, even if it's bad. But Perks looked really fucking good on Ezri Ezreal through this series. Um, obviously, it helps when you are... Uh, leagues above the enemy bot lane and everything, as it, it seemed to be with, with this series. But he looked really good on it. Honestly, I think Ezreal does look really strong right now. I think that sort of the new blue Ezreal build we see coming out, yeah, with all this uh, like penetration for his poke is really effective. It, yeah, and it's kind of interesting because uh, in, in both of these Ezreal games or for Sven, he doesn't build a mythic item either. He's completely skipping the mythic. That's super interesting. I hadn't even noticed. Um, and yeah, it just seems like it's not an important piece of the build at all. Uh, I I would assume if the game went long enough, he would probably grab a, a mythic at some point because you do get a lot of value off of just like the the passive that you get the mythic bonus passive. But obviously, it's not important enough to focus on early. I guess not. I think if anything, he would go for like. I don't know, a dusk blade or something that gives more CDR and penetration. Yeah, I know that's typically the build for like ARAMs at least. You, you obviously just want to be stacking as much CDR as you can typically on on someone like an Ezreal. Um, I, I would guess it would be something like that. Maybe, um, uh, what is it? Sundering, whatever. It's like the the bruiser or like the fire divine sunderer sheen item divine sunderer that could be another option just because you get like sheen procs off of it right oh uh, yeah but you already have a sheen item in the uh essence reaver right do you not yeah you do that's right um yeah it probably would just be something to give you the extra cdr then probably probably that assassin item the dusk blade uh, when it comes down to it, though, although Cloud9 did not deserve to win this game in draft, they 100% did with the gameplay because it was uh, another round of them just outclassing, outclassing 100 Thieves. They looked uh, way better. And honestly, I think this game showcased the skill deficit more than any because C9's comp was so hard to execute on into all the CC. Right? Like, if you look, if you look across their team, like you said, no tank. But three squishy members in uh, Tristana, Ezreal, and Karma that can get blown up instantly, pretty close on the Liliana as well. And yet they're able to kite properly. They're able to sort of either let 100 Thieves come into them and then just sort of kite backwards or get that sort of pick advantage and push forwards. And being able to execute on both of those without any tank, without any real hard CC, uh, is very impressive. Yeah, it, it was a really clean game from Cloud9 when it comes down to it. They they played it really well. Um, 100 Thieves has a lot of improving to do. I, I want to see DeMonte back in the starting lineup. Yeah, definitely looking for him to come in maybe for their Losers Bracket series now. Which, let's get into that. 
So, coming up this weekend, the first round of the lower bracket is starting. The first game on the Saturday is going to be Evil Geniuses versus TSM. Okay, I'm going to say it. I like TSM here. I know I sound like a broken record, but I just, I I don't know what to expect from Evil Geniuses. I, I 100% agree. Uh, I feel like for this series, I'm going to take like a 3-1 in favor of TSM. I think I might call this one 3-0 for TSM, honestly. Yeah. If it if it's not 3-0, it will be 3-2 because EG actually shows up. My my main concern is a POE Lucian coming out again. That's fair. <laughs> I think in loser's bracket in particular, they're going to try to play the games a little more tight and a little more to their strong comps. At least that's what I would do. I hope so. If I were coaching. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think this should be a pretty fun series overall, TSM versus Evil Geniuses. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty bloody. Lots of kills, uh, lots of action across the map. Big question to you. Do you think PoE will get Azir once in this series? I think so, yeah. I, I think it'll slip through draft at some point. Yeah. Honestly, with Evil Geniuses... It'll happen once and then like never again? I, I don't know how much I trust their, their coaching staff and everything. It, it it might happen a couple times. That's true. It is, it is hard to say. Uh, and then the second series that we have is going to be Dignitas versus 100 Thieves. I think this one's going to be much closer. This one, I think, is going to be really fun. I think this is probably going to go to a game five, uh, but I'm going to take Dignitas 3-2. Taking Dig, eh? I just, 100 Thieves looked so fucking bad against Cloud9. I, I know that Cloud9 is, like, the top team going into this and everything, but holy shit. They, it just didn't, it, it looked like they didn't know what they were doing half the time. I really don't know how to call this one, because, like, there's always that possibility of DeMonte coming in, and then do they look good? Are they out of practice with them? Like, there are just so many variables. I think Dig is the safe take here. I, I think I do agree with you. Like, overall, Dig has looked really solid. Um, Aphromu has been playing really, really well. Fate God has looked incredible. Uh, Dardock, although he's still a little hit and miss overall, I think he's like far more consistent than he's ever been. You can't ban him out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dignitas, I think overall is a is a hard team to play against as well for like picks and bans. I think they have decent diversity. Also, Double Lift was talking about this, and I I think I agree. I think Neo is very very underrated. I think Neo is actually has actually been playing really well this season. Like one of the top bot laners, one of the top ADCs in the league. He has looked so clean, uh, and and something that like Doublelift mentioned to make his point is he he never has like he never has a game where he just ints. Like he's always useful. He's always doing something, even when the team is losing. Uh, like he's not just running it down like we're seeing some of the other ADCs do. Yeah, and I think that'll put him in a good spot against FBI and Huhi because I don't really think that's like a top five bot lane in NA. Do you? I thought it was going in, but uh, not anymore, I don't think, unfortunately. I'm just trying to think because, like, they're definitely behind C9's bot lane. They're definitely behind TL's bot lane. And then, like, I, I'm just trying to think and sort of rank in my head the other bot lanes in the league. Like, I, I think from there, it's, like, kind of a toss-up between TSM and Dignitas for, like, third, fourth. And then I'd probably put 100 Thieves in fifth. Yeah, that's a pretty fair assessment, I think. I, I don't think they're... I, I have not been... I have not been very confident in Evil Genius's bot lane at all through this split. 
I think they have looked really, really bad. I think there are just not a ton of standout bot lanes in North America anymore. And I think that's something we're used to seeing from, like, previous seasons, you know, with, with your double lifts versus your Svens and your Sneakies and so forth and so on. Um, so I, I think we're kind of not used to seeing that, but uh, I, I definitely think that's one of the weaker lanes in North America now. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Well, especially with all, like, the import mid and top laners that we have. Yeah. Like, those two roles have become much stronger over the past couple of years. Yeah, and, and even support to a lesser extent. You know, you, you're seeing a lot of imports for the support role, but without that, like, strong ADC that just is mechanically powerful, I don't really see the same level of, of competition in the bot lane uh, with, with laners trying to pop off and get solo kills. It's all very safe, boring farm play right now. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Will Rolling on Air, and I'm on Twitter at Will Rolling Live, which is also my Twitch. So make sure you check me out there. I stream some League and uh, a bunch of other games as well. Josh, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitch.tv at Twitch.tv/Snapcaster13. Thank you so much for listening, and stay safe.